As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, on uh, I guess the final official day of the Canucks season because it doesn't end till it ends, right? It isn't over till it's over. And we got the players two days ago. We got two of the three people we were hoping to hear from today. Jim Rutherford, notably absent. But we did get Patrick Alvin and Rick Tockett. I guess we'll talk to them again heading into the draft and free agency and all of that. But right now, this puts a bow on the 2022-2023 season. And what a season it was, my friend. He had a pretty good article on it last night uh, saying that it was difficult at times to watch. It wasn't a lot of fun, all of which is true. Yeah, I mean, the mean joke that one could make out of that, Parhan, is the season doesn't end until the playoffs begin. Um, I thought it was a really strong performance, to be totally honest with you, from Patrick, right? I, I thought he was disciplined. Point. Sorry? Yeah, best, of it, best we've seen from him thus far, oh, because my, he typically my. hasn't been comfortable in this setting. No, and, and far from uncomfortable, I thought he was really disciplined. I don't think he gave much away but he also gave us a lot to chew on. Like, I don't know that he made headlines, but I think he was clear when he needed to be, and I, and I think he still told us a fair bit of, of what about what we can expect from this team, right? Buyouts, he didn't close the door on them. Clearly, that's not option A, B, or C, right? Third-line center, tied that that was the number one thing that he's looking at, looking to upgrade uh, this, uh, this summer. Not going to spend on a veteran goalie. I mean, we knew that anyway, but I think he was unequivocal about it. Uh, Pullman and Pearson's status, he definitely didn't give us clarity about about what to expect there. And realistically, that's about as important a fact as we can get from this team going into the summer because it so dramatically impacts their options as a result of LTI and how it functions. Um, you know, non-committal, I, I thought, but nonetheless... I think the fact that he wasn't like, yeah, they're going to be, you know, they're going to work toward being part of our team next season, uh, spoke volumes. Honestly, probably for me, the most revealing part of the day was when he made the Ethan Bear extension joke, right? Like, ah, I'm not sure he's earned a raise, right? Um, GM makes a comment like that, if talks aren't pretty mature, <laughs> between the player, the, the player's agent, and, and the team, right? You don't risk complicating talks by by winking at the media in, unless you've got the bird in hand in that case right I, I thought you know I might I might think that he was talking about a team in a alternate reality but I thought he projected some confidence and I, and I thought he gave fans a lot to chew on without making any negative headlines or adding to the, the stir and controversy, the sturm and drang, as it were, that has surrounded this team for so much of the past year. I gotta be honest with you. you. You wanna know the biggest thing that jumped out to me? When he said, we were only five or six points out of the playoff. Like, for, for all the, the meat on the bone, which we weren't expecting much of, it does tell you something about how these this team views itself. And it's kind of what we knew already, right? Because this is a retool, it's not a rebuild. Uh, they're talking more about culture than about physical pieces. He did talk about change, but it certainly doesn't sound like there's going to be wholesale change on any level. 
And you just get the sense that they believe they're close. And look, I, I think you and I both have talked about this before that going into next season, you can absolutely make a case for this team making the playoffs, health notwithstanding, just what we see on paper with one or two additions. And we're not talking about $8 million additions, right? There, there is um, an absolute world where this team could make the playoffs. Certainly the, the form that they've shown under talking has been better. But as you pointed out, their points percentage is still like 13th, right? And only 16 make the playoffs. So it's not like they are – like their points percentage now is not as good as it was in the Bruce There It Is run at the end of last season. So we do think the form is better, but it's clear this team believes they're closer than maybe many others believe – and, you know, they're, they're thinking playoffs, right? The buyout thing jumped out to me because he did talk about, we don't want to be hamstrung. He didn't use that word, but, you know, we, we don't want to feel the effects of buyouts down the road when we think we're a contender. So at least he doesn't think they could be a contender next year. But there is a little bit of discipline around that because, again, we, we when we had Jim Rutherford on, uh, not on, but when we had Jim Rutherford's last availability in and around the uh, the Tanner Pearson stuff, and I guess he did have the one more after the deadline, uh, or after the coaching change, I should say. Um, this is, you know, like Jim Rutherford said, we're using buyouts. Or, you know, we, we certainly used that as a tool and talked about that openly as a real possibility. Alvin said, nope, I don't think we're going to use buyouts. So for me, those two things, they think they're pretty close, and the buyout piece were the ones that jumped out to me. Yeah, the, you know, the one, so there were a couple things I didn't like so much that I'll get into really quickly. One is, you know, for all that this team has called out the fitness level of the group, um, I didn't love that Brock Besser was singled out. And, and he was by implication, right? If he sacrifices no this summer, he can hit another level. Um, you know, this was a, this was a guy who had a surgical procedure and couldn't work out. He couldn't sweat. Um, you know, do, do we really know that we ever got a sense of what his fitness level was coming out of last summer, considering he basically had to rest for three weeks? Um, I didn't like that implication. Like, I thought that was, um, you know, I'm not outraged. Like, I, I, it's so hard to talk about things you don't like these days without people being like, oh, you're whining about it. Like, I just thought it was uh, unnecessary to single out a specific individual, uh, given the focus on, on the fitness level of the group. Like it, it puts a face on it. And I didn't particularly like the, um, one thing that like I found tough to swallow was, you know, there's been so much chatter about the importance of accountability, right? But isn't that vision tougher to sell if you don't have the president of hockey operations explaining <laughs> the vision at a, at a, you know, like it's t- can it's we, tough can for we- me to take the accountability thing seriously. When the guy for guy with whom the buck stops isn't isn't up on the dais at the season ending availabilities, and you know the Archers Seelovs as as option uh, as backup option thing, like I think if that's how that plays out, that's terrible. Okay, like, so he let's, needs let's to play let's, forty fifty games. Let's stay on Rutherford. Let's stay on okay. Rutherford. Okay, so so that everybody understands, we know that the last time Bruce did an availability was after Bruce Boudreau got fired. And Rick Tockett got hired, and we were all over him for how that situation was handled, right? And, um, you know, from the club's perspective, it wasn't that offside. They didn't like how Bruce played to the crowd and played to the Bruce there it is and showed the level of emotion that he did. You know, they, they do think, as an organization, they're not happy, and they think that he made them look worse than they should have looked. We all understand that when you replace a coach and you've got another one in waiting – that's common. I mean, it happened when Bruce Boudreaux took over for Rick Tockett. For it to play out as publicly and as extendedly as it did was too much, right? And so we were we were all over him. And at the end of it, you know, he kind of had to own the fact that he did leak some of this stuff to some of the insiders. He didn't say it, but he then finished by saying, okay, I'm not talking again. So, right. and, and he's cut off a lot of people, right? Uh, including some of the insiders, mm. right? That he, he's not responded to. And for me, I reached out to him on the when we on the weekend when we first saw that he wasn't going to be available, and it was just Alvine and Talkit. And you know, the main reason for us is there are big picture questions of the organization. Something is not simple, but non hockey related, like the practice rink. Like, where are we on that? 
to the medical staff and other things that generally are presidential areas, not right. general manager areas, right? And so I said to him, I sent him a text this weekend, and I said, Jim, I know you're upset with all the treatment. You said you weren't going to talk that day. However, it's a reasonable expectation that the president should at the very least talk at the start of the year and at the end of the year. You don't have to be available regularly during the year. You know, you do have a GM. You can defer to that. But there are questions above him. One of the reasons, one, not the, but one of the reasons why you have a president is to further insulate the owner. We have an owner here who doesn't like to talk. It should be an expectation that the president give us the big picture view of the organization. When the buyout question was posed, that was also in relation to, to Jim. Uh, Patrick Johnson asked a question as well. And, and uh, Patrick said, uh, Patrick Alvin said that, yeah, you know, maybe Jim should have been here, kind of jokingly. So it's not an unreasonable expectation. This is not entitled media, right? This is a president. He is the president of a yeah. major corporation that has tons of interest in the marketplace. We should be able to at least get him once at the start and once at the end. And he said to me, sorry, I won't be available. Yeah. And I, 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 I agree with you. I just think, you know, fans deserve some big picture answers, right? Especially given the reversal on buyouts and, and given the, you know, um, the fact that we've had no update on a practice facility, despite that being such a feature, such a prominent feature of what this club discussed in this space last year, right? Um, I think the Canucks are one of only two that don't have one. I'd throw in two, um, like renovations. If, if Jim's there, I'd have asked about the plan for renovations, which, you know, season ticket holders have been told to expect major ones, both in terms of the seats and the jumbotron. Is the club going to make sure that that doesn't impact training camp? Like that's not really a GM question, right? I, I so I was focusing on, you know, uh, w- what Alvin's going to look to do this summer from a hockey perspective. As opposed to, you know, a, a super relevant question, particularly with how disrupted this past season's training camp was and, and the impact that that may have had, at least in part, on, you know, this club's sl- slow start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all fair. And ultimately, you use the word accountability and you expect everybody else in the organization to be that way. And look, this isn't going to be the theme for the entire VanCast. Uh, this isn't us just wanting to publicly vent because we're pissed off. Reasonable expectation, not a good look. Hopefully we're going to hear from him at some point because you can't be a president and, and just never be available. And and certainly there were there were a lot of questions there that we couldn't even get to because in 45 minutes and look they, they didn't it's not like they cut it off it it, it wasn't like that it went it, it went a, for it, almost it went well. an hour you did it yeah and so so everything was was handled well and 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 quite honestly as we pivot to Patrick Alvin in this you, you talked about how good he was he was disciplined um, you know he, he didn't answer a lot of direct questions to be quite honest you know he would get into all the context and then eventually kind of circle back and readdress the question a little bit in most cases, uh, whether that be PD, you know, and talking about how he carried the, you know, he was asked about the contract and he talked about how he carried the team and was, you know, very, uh, you know, big in his praise. And then eventually kind of came back and said, I don't know when I'm going to get my name on the contract or when I'm going to get his name on a contract. Same thing with JT Miller talked up and down about the 30 games and everything like that. And then at the end, but if people talk, I'll listen. Um, there, so there was a lot of that, you know, context that eventually kind of got back to it, but said enough to not have to actually address the issue in a big way. But to your point, that probably was a reflection of discipline. So for me, I, I thought it was his best performance as well. Let's get in. Let's get into well, the individual. So, sorry, the, I just want to. I just want to describe the Miller thing as it was a vote of confidence sandwich. There was an <laughs> there. There was an. I'm listening at the start. The meat of it was a big vote of confidence in JT Miller and the hardness that he played with and the form that he showed in the last 30 games of the year. And then at the back end, there was like, and I'll listen. (laughs) (laughs) So I appreciated the vote of confidence sandwich handed out to JT Miller. By the way, JT Miller, two-way beast, once talk it, took over storyline. Being a little bit overplayed. Like, he played well, played way better than he did in the first 50. Five on five goals JT Miller had after Tocket took over? Tell me. Three in 35 games. How many was he on the ice for? Total points, 16. For context, yeah. Connor Garland had six. 
right? Like Connor Garland had that same amount of points. Like the, the JT Miller five on five offensive driver thing. We didn't see that at all this year, no matter who was coaching. But we did see a, a much more committed player the final 30 games. In no question. No question. I'm not taking anything away from that. I just, I do think the way that it's like taken on a life of its own in this market needs to be, needs to be like taken back a step. The, the fact is, is that for the season, here, here's the, here's what you need to know about Miller five on five this season. In 81 games, right? Cause he missed the one in Dallas in 81 games. One more five-on-five point for the Canucks than Bo Horvat, who was traded in January. Wow. Just is what it is. All right, let's get let's move on. All right, so let's talk goaltending because you'd you'd gone in that direction. Uh, it doesn't sound like the Canucks are going to make any kind of an effort to to attract a veteran um, goaltender that has any kind of pedigree to well, come in here. Certainly not an expensive one. No, I like so. So we might see a reclamation project, and they might go out and get a Spencer Martin. Uh, Archer, or not Archer Sellers, but Colin Deli, a type of guy that's been a journeyman. And he talked about being comfortable with a young guy like Archer Silovs as a backup. So I certainly have all sorts of confidence in Archer Silovs' ability to be the backup. However, is that the best thing for the player? And and I know for me, you know, Harmon and I talked about this earlier on a VanCast, is there a scenario where they can still get, uh, you know, whether it's a Spencer Martin or uh, Colin Deli, a type of player that is in the organization and available and still loves here for a period of time and work them both back and forth between here and Abbotsford so that if an injury happens, Silovs is the guy they're going to turn to. And if it doesn't, you can get him 10 to 15 games with a big club next year. And then he spends a significant amount of time getting meaningful games, 25 to 30 in Abbotsford. And then you can still have your Spencer Martin, Colin Dilly, a player play, you know, 10 games, 12 games as well. And you time it up for when they're on home stands, when they're on road trips, and you can just kind of work it through yeah. when you see the opportunity for the player to the, play. The, I, the, the 2A, 2B paradigm, the, the Kachetkov model, because that's what the Carolina yeah, Hurricanes exactly. did. And, and I'm totally comfortable with that, but it has to be that. You cannot have Arthur Silovs playing 22 games next season on the tail end of, you know, a, a two and a half year run where he lost so much development time to the pandemic and the logistical nightmare that that introduced for so many young hockey players. Um, and luckily, right, luckily doesn't seem to have done him any damage in terms of his overall development. Like he's emerged as a pretty good, as a pretty good American League goaltender who, you know, didn't look out of place in the, in the NHL. That's a, a fantastic, a tremendous success story for, for a talented young player. Um, he needs to get games. Like he absolutely needs to get games and that has to be the priority. Um, let's be real here though. Uh, a Seelovs, Martin, or maybe, uh, the Tolulio guy from Belarus sort of, uh, upsets the apple cart and makes a push to, to be a backup. I, I'm not counting that out. He was the best goalie in the Osvenskin by a fair bit last season. Um, there's a lot of downside risk, right? Like Patrick Alvin at one point, and it was just an aside, said we're five or six games from being a playoff team, right? And he's not wrong, right? Like that is the gap. Was that it games or gap. points? I think it was points, right? He said five or six games. So 12, okay, 10 or point, 12 right? points. And that's yep. the gap between them and the eighth and final playoff spot in the West. Um, you know, really it's 17 points back of uh, the crack and 10, 10 points back of, of Seattle. Well, with margins like that, that that make the difference between being a totally mediocre team and being, uh, you know, in the playoffs or, or at least in the mix until late in the season, like sometimes it's the performance of a backup. Sometimes it's finding a guy who can give you, you know, twelve and eight in the twenty games they play, as opposed to eight and twelve. Right? Like that makes a huge difference. And without the money to spend on a backup goaltender, like there's real downside risk for the Canucks. Uh, that can be, you know, realized and, and in fact, uh, damage your season significantly in the event that your goaltender gets hurt for it, your starter gets hurt for any length of time, as Thatcher Demko did this season. So, you know, that to me is one thing, one thing that really makes the Canucks sort of a nice edge team, almost independent of whatever improvement they have elsewhere, 
uh, particularly, particularly, and I mentioned this, particularly given that as much as they improved under Tockett, when did they take off results-wise? It wasn't before Demko returned, it was after. Their record in February wasn't much to write home about. It was their record in March and April when Demko was starting all the time that, that started to become impressive. No question. But at the same time, you can't understand the last thing this organization needs to do is go spend $3 million or $2.5 million on a goaltender because they have other pressing needs. And you get the sense that there isn't going to be a lot of movement here, like not just buyouts, but, you know, are they going to double down on Brock Besser? Certainly sounds like they are. And you probably should, given the fact that there's just not going to be a big market for the players. Same thing with Connor Garland, right? And I know you're a big fan of Garland anyway, and if they change his deployment, you might get more out of him, right? So when you, and Oliver Ekman Larson, they're not buying him out. They got to figure out a way to make that work. You could wind up with a scenario where Tyler Myers gets moved, right? We didn't necessarily ask him directly about Myers, but that might be one after that $5 million payment is due that becomes a little more palatable. Um, but I don't get the sense that there's going to be that type of cost cutting here, right? Just because you're going to have to add sweeteners and, you know, I, maybe there's a narrative around that all of a sudden the organization and its prospect pulls a little bit better and maybe there's a way to move from that. But, you know, if they can, add, like to me, that third line center, and they talked about it, right? He couldn't run from that. He he did both he and Talkett, Alvin and Talkett, acknowledged that that is an area they need to address. You know, is there somebody internally like a an Achurachu or a, um, uh, who's the Swedish center that they've got? I'm having a... a Neil Zaman. No, not Neil Zaman. Um, not Neil Zaman. Oh, it's in the, oh, oh Linus, Linus Carlson. Carlson. Linus yeah, Carlson. So, you know, like, is there an internal solution? I would think you don't want to go into next season with that as the answer. They're going to be looking elsewhere for a legitimate answer that they know they can count on to fill that role. And potentially they want to add one more piece on the back end. So, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be a big piece. And at this point where they're at salary wise, nor should it be. So where do you, you know, where do you go, right? Like you can't go get that goaltender because they're, they're going to have to find these other two pieces. They've acknowledged as much. And it doesn't sound like there's going to be a priority, like moving money has been front and center in our conversations with Jim Rutherford. It absolutely wasn't with Patrick Alvin. He had to be asked repeatedly to acknowledge that it is a thing that they've got to think about, but clearly not front and center. I thought I actually liked, I really liked his commentary on like uh, 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 Atu Ratu's age in the American league, Danila Klimovich being patient with those guys who are still junior aged. I thought he had a really good sense of that. I thought that was pretty sophisticated hockey analysis. Um, in, in terms of cutting them slack for their age, um, you know, listed Jet Wu as like a interesting depth contributor, a guy who's played well for them. But like, I, I mean, there's ways to hold the fort with what the club could get internally in terms of like Willannon being a third pair guy. But man, aside from Demko's health. Mikheyev's speed returning and the impact of Philip Hironik, like those are the credible areas where I think you can expect more than what you got from Canucks players this season, particularly given that like a lot of Canucks players played about as well as you could ever reasonably, like Quinn Hughes was one of the best defensemen in the league. I know he's young and could get better, but also that's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed that a guy who's already elite gets more elite. Like it, it's, it'd be hard for Quinn Hughes to be better. It'd be hard for Elias Pettersson to be better. Right? So, you know, I just, there's going to need to be changes and it's going to be hard. And they, they were very clear that it's, that there needed to be changes. And I, I, you know, I do think in the ways that they discussed it, the idea of lateral trades, like I do at least think they had a good idea of just how limited their options are going to be, um, particularly in a world where they're not using violence. So let's talk about a couple of other items. And uh, number one, let's talk about Pedersen. So certainly from a Canuck fan perspective, this is the number one topic. Number one topic about, you know, can they get him done to an ex- get him uh, signed to an extension? Myself, Kuz, a few others asked about that process that he's already started talking to Pedersen. He knows his agents and is talking to him. Um, but at the same time, through it all and talked about how he carried the team and how much he means to the team and how good of a player he is. But at the end of it all, 
he did acknowledge, you know, and I kind of set him up this way, right? Because I wanted to ask him the second time through that, is this as big a priority as we're making it out to be? Because you do have another year of player control. And so he did say, yeah, um, we, we do have this player under control for the next couple of years. So I can't tell you for certain when I'm going to get his name on the piece of paper. Again, another little bit of discipline where he didn't necessarily want to come off as being desperate to get it done immediately. And quite frankly, we've talked about it before that that might be the thing that Pedersen wants as well. This may be his wait and see, see year. I mean, I'm, I'm really trying to figure this out. Like, what's the downside for Pedersen of waiting? None. <laughs> you know, I had someone, I was having a debate with someone who, you know, knows a lot of these dynamics. And they were saying, well, you know, you know he could get injured um, or he could struggle next season. And I said, and then he's still Elias Pettersson. Like, you, you, you look around the league, you see a lot of other 40-goal, 100-point, 24-year-old centermen. You see a lot of other players like this. Like, he could be a 65-point player the next two seasons. And he's still going to be sought after the point where he'd be able to demand a contract that probably makes him the highest paid player in the league on, on hitting unrestricted free agency at the age of 26. Come on. We all know this, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like his game, what he did this year, there is no drop off. That's going to make people think that it, it, it's all a figment of our imagination. Like he is still going to have big time value. No question. And additionally, you know, I think I like, I think, I think if you're a team, you shouldn't be betting on the cap going up, but I think if you're a player, it's quite reasonable. (laughs) Um, Do you really want to sign in the last year? Like, do you really want to sign a long-term deal in the last year of a flat cap environment? If you have two years of team control in which you can just wait and see what it looks like, like there's a real chance that two years from now or a year from now, the market, and the forces dictating player comp look completely different, right? Like what's, what's 11 million now or nine and a half million now, you know, could be, could be 11 and a half million in two years. Um, you know, if I'm a player, especially one with, you know, options and a year on his deal and a restricted free agent thereafter, I mean, I'd be tempted to wait if I was concerned about the money. Now, one thing in Vancouver's favor is I don't get the sense that that matters a ton no, not that it doesn't matter, but I don't think that's going to be like Pedersen's primary motivation, right? Like, I think this is a competitive guy with a holistic view of, of life, um, which, by the way, is, is typical of a lot of Swedish-born players, right? Like, they want to win. They want to be in a place where they have a chance to win. That tends to be their priority. Um, I think it's Pedersen's priority. So Alvin expressed some confidence that the core players are buying into his vision today. I don't know that that echoed what we heard from players on Saturday. I would say on Saturday, we heard a lot about the players' belief in Rick Tockett, and a lot of that seemed really credible to me. But I don't know that we heard a lot of commentary that would lead me to say, this is a player, this is a group of players that is really confident in the direction of the organization. In fact, there was a lot of commentary about the dysfunction and controversies that raged all year that, that to me, you know, almost cast something of a skeptical gate about where exactly this club is headed. Is that a fair read or am I off my... No, I think so. I, I Look, people, people, we, we heard a lot more from the players about Talkit and what he did. And, you know, the structure stuff that we almost kind of mocked at one point during the year, right? It was like structure and the summer were like the two big buzzwords of everything. But at the end of the day, you know, when the players talked two days ago, they did get into the detail of that and not necessarily from a systems perspective, but it was clear the level of teaching they received and detail breakdown they received from Rick Tockett. And I think Ethan Bear had a really good comment about it wasn't just about making hockey reads. It was a true understanding of where they needed to be at any given time. Like, it was real. It was real. And and I think the Adam Foot effect to that also matters a great deal, right? So mm. we got to give them full credit, and the players have given them full credit. But you're right. I mean, they, they, there wasn't necessarily a lot of big-picture commentary on the overall direction of the organization. And Patrick Ovin's got a lot to prove. That's not a shot. He hasn't done anything. Right? Like, he, this is his first time in this chair. He's been in this job for a season and a half. Less than that. 
So he's got a lot to prove. And last offseason, he didn't necessarily prove it in terms of what their stated goals were, right? When they talked about, uh, you know, moving money and, and upgrades to the blue line, they didn't do that coming into the year. We didn't see a significant ad until the trade deadline with Philip Ronick. So Alvin still got something to prove, right? And, and he's also got to show us he can negotiate a big time contract. Um, and I mean, and I guess Rutherford is in the midst of that and he did negotiate the collectively. They were able to negotiate the JT Miller deal, right? So there is that, but this one's a little bit trickier because with Miller, it was about picking, you know, giving him the max or giving, you know, like there was a, there was a threshold there with either he or Horvat. They had to choose and they had to, to get that done. Right. And so, so they did, but I think this one with the numbers we're talking about, right. And the fact that it's going to be an eight figure deal, this is a little bit more complicated and there's so many other statements and things like that, that have to go into this contract that um, it, it's just not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy given where they're coming from. And, and again, I'm not pessimistic that they'll get it done, but it's uh, this is going to be a real tell, right? If Pedersen gets this contract signed, it, speaks volumes for his belief in in Patrick Alvin and the vision of the organization. Oh, no question. I mean, an awful lot unfolds out of that, right? I mean, the ver- the viability of this retool requires Pedersen to get done. And it requires Pedersen to get done at a level that, you know, uh, allows the team to continue to fill in the roster despite a host of inefficient deals that will persist for at least a few more years. Um, you know, some for a long time. So a- as far as I'm concerned, the, the, the Pedersen deal right off the hop is like an early referendum on the direction of the team, right? Um, we haven't yet really seen this team pay the tab in some ways for the lack of success that's been endured here for so long, right? Like to this point, this team hasn't lost key star players like Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk style. Cause they didn't want to be here. Right. Absolutely. It, hasn't, yeah. it hasn't happened. JT Miller extended, Bo Horvat was open to it. It was about numbers, right? Like, I mean, this team and this organization haven't paid the tab in terms of being an undesirable place to p- play. Now, Vancouver's not an undesirable place to play because it's a great place to live. Um, it's it's an expensive place to live, but it's an engaged hockey market. There are downsides for sure. But, you know, people say stuff like, well, people don't want to play here. And it's like, well, yeah, where's the evidence of that? Seems like this organization is able to keep its key players. There was no commentary from Pedersen that matched the type of commentary we saw from Elias Lindholm and... Um, Mikhail Backlund in Calgary. It's like in Calgary's garbage bag day, for example, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Pedersen decision, I think, is like an early referendum on is there a cost? Is there a cost to this? Uh, or not? Well, and it's all, there's also an indictment to it, right? Because we know he very much likes living here. Mm-hmm. So if he chooses not to sign, it is all hockey. Right. Right? Yes. Where somebody else might say, yeah, I like the hockey piece, but I want to be back east. I want to be closer to family. I want to be where there's no taxes. You know, like all those narratives don't apply. He he wants to live in Vancouver. So if yeah, he he sign, it. it's purely a hockey decision. Yeah. Um, and anyway, they express confidence. And, I, you know, at the end of the day, if they're able to come at him uh, two years before anyone else right, with uh, eight times 11. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, like that's, I that's, mean, who do you say? Who says no? That's pretty powerful weaponry. Yeah, eighty-eight million dollars. If only in our worlds we were talking about that. Hey, uh, so so certainly uh, they're optimistic. We have no reason to be pessimistic. So the fact that we're breaking it down as an issue because it is one until it gets done doesn't mean we think it's not going to happen on any level. No, uh, but but there's going to be some work to do. So now uh, a couple of other but topics. All of these are, all of these pressure points are fun mental exercises, right? Like they're fun things yeah. to work through and examine from every angle. Uh, this is one of them. Um, you know. Anyway, keep continue. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we we will take some questions. So if you want to get on the stage, please do that. We're going to go for about another probably 20 minutes, somewhere in and around there, 15 to 20 minutes. So uh, please, please weigh in and, and get on the stage if you want to talk. We touched on the buyout issue earlier only as it related to Jim Rutherford not being there and that uh, not mixed messaging, just updated messaging, right? Because Rutherford thought that, that it was happening and Alvin says it no longer is. And, and I've certainly reported previously, I was not expecting uh, Oliver Reckman Larson to be bought out, uh, you know, as much as like three weeks ago. So the decisions on buyouts and Alvin's explanation around it, which I think is the right one. There are people on Canucks Twitter who think it's crazy that if they want to be good, they have to write that check. And this is an indictment of ownership and so on and so forth. From me, from a hockey roster building perspective, take the ownership piece out of it. I think it's the right decision. What's your thoughts? Sorry, you think it's the right decision in terms of not avoiding violence that- this year? This um, team is not good enough. No, I, I would, I would strongly, I mean, Strongly consider, I think, a, a buyout of the Ekman Larson deal. I, really? I think, well, this is the last year where it really makes sense. Because this is the biggest after, savings this year. Yeah. After this year, I think the math gets to the point where I'd be riding it out. So I think if you're going to rid yourself of that contract, this would be the year to do it, right? Like, my, my, my basic view of this is there's the fanciful world where you ask me, what should the Canucks do to win a Stanley Cup, right? Like, what what should the Canucks do to, to win a Stanley Cup if they want to be a serious contender in the next five years? And, you know, my, my answer would be, I think there's a path if you buy out OEL and trade JT Miller, right? Like, I think if you free yourself out of, of that 15.25 uh, dedicated to guys on the wrong side of 30 now, right? Um there's a chance that you have the flexibility. Like those commitments are just so significant and the downside risk is so massive in the years when Hughes will be like 26 and Pedersen will be 27 that, I I mean, for me anyway, I'd have no appetite to carry those risks on the books. Um, Particularly given that anything I get from those guys is going to be at its best for the next year or two. When, when I think this team is going to be very hard pressed to be more than a wildcard team. So that would be my answer to you. So does it make sense to use a buyout? I think it could, but I think there's only one deal that makes sense to use it on. And it only makes sense if it's part of a, you know, wider plan to prioritize three, four years down the road. We know this organization has no interest in that. So, um, you know, given those parameters, given those restrictive parameters, then, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to avoid a buyout. All right. Uh, what are the other topics? We did ask him about a potential JT Miller trade as you bring that up right now. And um, his answer was fun, right? <laughs> like he, he gushed about him. We talked about the 30 game piece, which we kind of debunked a little bit. And we we've discussed the issue as it related to Olvin's discipline. But he did kind of come back with the, hey, I'd listen, do you think they are seriously contemplating it? And the context is we've seen insiders recently after the trade deadline and even in the last few weeks. Uh, Pierre Lebrun, Frank uh, Saravalli, who have said their belief is the Canucks would still prefer to move the contract. Um, do you get the sense that that's real? Uh, I don't even know anymore, right? Like the JT Miller, yeah. will they or won't they? Um, it's never going <laughs> well, no, no, to so, And it probably won't even after July 1st, right? Or when the, when the no trade kicks in. I don't think they're moving them. And, and I think they would, they, they believe they position themselves in a spot where, like we were talking about this a while ago, that the Canucks would have to give them a sweetener to move off of JT Miller, like just months after the contract got signed. And they're going to try to position this that, no, no, like if we're going to move that, like we need real value back. And certainly the things they were talking about in and around the trade deadline 
uh, with Pittsburgh uh, would lead you to believe that there is there would be value that they wouldn't have it wouldn't cost them crazy amounts to to move on from the player. But I, I think they believe they've found something there in terms of the Miller talk it effect, right? And Miller himself, the way he talked about Talkett's influence on him, the way he was able to hold him accountable, that he would go home and have a beer and he didn't want to hear it before, but when he was having that beer, he realized that he needed to hear it and, and that it was the right thing and and so on. And you get the sense that there's a feeling organizationally that Rick Talkett has unlocked something here, regardless of what the five-on-five offensive numbers were the last 30 games. And I think it would take a lot for them to move off the deal now because it would then create more work. And you're talking about what losing the Miller and Ekman Larson contracts could do for them. But I think there is, and not that they're lazy, I'm not suggesting it like that. It gets complicated to replace those players with players that you want that far up your lineup and the risk associated with that as well. And it's almost a case of better the devil you know. Mm. Um. Yeah, the thing to really value is is flexibility, though. <laughs> like that's king, right? I'm I'm gonna go down and cover the Kraken this upcoming weekend in the playoffs, and nice. and I think the Kraken did just about everything wrong in the expansion process. Like I, I truly think they could not have run it more poorly. And two years later, they're a 100-point team. Why? Because the advantage of starting out with zero committed cap, $81.5 million, even if you had to take a, a you know minimum amount in the expansion process, is so powerful in the cap sort of era that they've made the playoffs in spite of themselves. They, they've been able to add Bjorkstrand. They've been able to sign Schultz, right? They've been able to address their problems on the trade market through waiver claims um, through free agency, because they had limited limitless options and they're going to have 20 million more in cap space this year. In this league right now, flexibility is King. It's not talent. It's flexibility. And this is sort of where, you know, where I come at this about the OEL buyout or the, or the Miller trade and the importance of that from uh, from a big picture standpoint, I don't expect the club to do it, but I also think the club doesn't care about flexibility versus, you know, building up their team in sort of a pretty conventional old fashioned way. I just don't know that the league works like that. Right. So that's why I'm sort of nervous about what this off season looks like. The idea of lateral trades, the idea of making changes. Um, there's no nitrous in this engine, right? Like there's no space. This might be one of the crunchiest cap crunch years the Canucks have faced, and we've been through like three in the last four years. It's pretty wild to, to be in this position. Given, given the lessons that we've seen around the league during this hard cap era that has really um, squeezed those teams that have committed their, their cash inefficiently the way Vancouver has, um, you know, I just think it's going to be really hard to address what this organization needs to address. Like they're talking about a third line center, man, that's either an extraordinarily expensive trade piece, right? Like extraordinarily expensive, or it's a really expensive contract. I mean, there's, there's one of two and this team doesn't have the cap space for the contract and they don't really have the assets for the trade. So how do you address it? You know, like, do you trade a bad contract for a worse contract? Because we've seen that movie before, and it, I didn't like the ending, right? I mean, it's really going to be a massive test of Alvin and company's creativity. Uh, look, he passed a big test today in that he gave a real big league level press conference, something that I don't think he's done yet, right? He did that today. Um, he's got another series of exams coming up this offseason. I, I mean, I just think they're going to be very difficult to ace. Not, not impossible, but very tricky to pull off. And, and certainly uh, they're going to be fighting against the tide and trying to get there. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Farhan, we've got a question in, in here from Terrence at V before we open up the stage. Let's do it. He says he has a bit of stage fright, so he'd rather ask his question there. He says, does Hiroshi's play give enough of a sample size to warrant keeping him in the top six next year and avoid a lucrative LD free agency signing? I fear he had a, another good Branson style signing. Thanks, gentlemen. Um, the sign college free agents to address a draft uh, sorry, a gap in draft picks made. Um, I know we're treating it like it's novel, but this is an old story, right? Like this is something we've sure. seen contending teams do for a decade, uh, including the Canucks, right? Who made a real habit of this back in the like Evan Oberg, Chris Tanev, Aaron Volpatti. Um, who was the centerman who Bieksa kicked out of the circle in that Flames game? Oh, um, Kellen Lane. Yes. Kellen Lane. I mean, we've seen the Canucks do this like we've seen the Canucks pursue these types of players before in bulk and look Chris Tanev's like the 0.01 percent outcome right Aaron Volpatti's like a top five percent outcome for this type of player uh 24 year old looks decent in six NHL games you know I don't think that's something you can lean on in constructing your team for next season it's it's found money if you come to camp and he wins a job um, you know, you're, you, you start to get excited if 20 games into the season, it looks like he's a contributor, but it's not something you can lean on. It's a hope bet, right? It's very much like leaning on Martin and uh, Martin Seelov's, um, top goaltender in the Allsvenskin sort of tandem as, as a, as a backup behind a, a starting goaltender who's, you know, got an increasing, uh, an increasing list of, of previous injuries. Um, it's a hope bet. It's not a certainty. It's not a plan. You, you can't plan to lean on Akito Hiroshi to fill in the gaps, even on your bottom pair. You hope it happens. You're thrilled if it happens. But if you're if you're all in on making the playoffs, and certainly this team's moves telegraph that they are, regardless of their commentary, um, you know, I don't think it's sufficient. I, well, I tend to agree. Absolutely. Uh, what about who's in the organization, right? So give a bit of a, a ringing endorsement of Jack Rathbone and just kind of the situation he was in this year. And, you know, he, he I don't want to say gave him a pass, but he certainly put context around what we thought was a make or break year for him that didn't necessarily go that way. Uh, they talked about uh, Achirachu. They talked about uh, a number of guys. You mentioned Jet Wu earlier in the show. Like, where do we think they are? Are we going to get a bunch of stories and narrative around Internal improvement, as we see what happens with Abbotsford, their American League Hockey League, American Hockey League playoffs begin on Wednesday, three-game set against Bakersfield uh, every second night here in Abbotsford. But if all of a sudden this team goes on a bit of a run, do they all of a sudden start overvaluing some of these players? Now also, Phil DiGiuseppe will not be playing for Abbotsford. They feel he's kind of done enough to establish himself, and um, they want him to be able to spend spend time with his family right now. Uh, there's a medical appointment that happened today for Pod Colson. They want to get him back to Abbotsford. I've, I've heard at various times he's not enamored with going back, but um, that that's the organizational plan. Um, where do we think they are in terms of players they have in Abbotsford that they think are legitimate options for them if they can't make the other moves, or maybe even if they can't? Well, they also sang Niels Hoaglander's praises, right? Yeah, was one of the guys for sure. And, yeah, and, I, and I certainly believe there's going to be a spot next year here for him to win. Well, I also think what Zurich talk at season, he's going to love him. Just like, talk, about 
Fuck, yeah. Talk about a guy who, you know, wins more than his fair. Like, you want a wall guy? <laughs> you, you want a you hardworking guy whose fitness level is beyond reproach? Here's your guy. Yeah, no question. Like, the, the, you know. He's small, but yeah, he does offer the rest of it. Yeah, well, and, and he's small, but he doesn't play small, right? And that's, I mean, he's going to, I think he's got a chance, you know, we're going to have a Phil DiGiuseppe, Pedersen, Niels Hoaglander top line. Um, uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, the Hoaglander thing is fascinating to track for a variety of reasons. You know, I'd expect the Canucks to grind him on a, on a one year show me contract. He doesn't have our brights. I uh, spent so much of the season in the American league. He's really one of the main guys to watch. I think in terms of if he can come up and be as good as I think he can be. And as I think he's been in the past, um, you know, that, that really helps the Canucks particularly is that'll be a cost controlled piece. Um, but aside from that, I don't know that there's a ton that I'm like looking at is likely to hit for them and, and be a factor next season. Like, I don't think Daniela Klimovich is ready, likely, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm still concerned about Linus Carlson's pace, uh, at the NHL level. Um, you know, there, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, like Willan and Deegis, or sorry, Willan and Giuseppe. Brisebois Hoaglander. That would be like sort of my short list. Plus, plus Silovs in a in a one in a two B role. Uh, let's get to the stage. All right, we've got two up for now, and we'll invite anyone else who raises their hand. Let's say before four forty five. Let's uh, start with Dimitri A, who I've called up to the stage. We'll see if he gets on. Hey, Dimitri, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. Thanks nice to you. Uh, well, thank you. Great, great. Nice to be on again. Yeah, I was on earlier this season. Kind of uh, avoided you guys for a while just because the season was going bad. But here again, kind of excited for next season. I'm Welcome curious back. about a couple of things. <clears throat> um, one thing, it, it correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like to me this team is almost built like a, a former cup winner. Like you have the bloated, spent to the salary cap, prospect pool kind of towards the bottom of the league. What what can we do to like maybe turn that around and make it look more like a retool? This team look again, I know that there's resistance from the owner and maybe Alvin and Rutherford, but what, what can we do to change that? Um, what are your thoughts on that Farhan? How can the Canucks make this look more like a retool? How can they make it look more like a retool or a rebuild? Maybe I misunderstood the question. I, I think he means, I think he means that the Canucks are still aligned as if they're an end of window contender. Sure. <laughs> rather than um, rather than a uh, rather than a sort of retooling team, that there's still a lot of older pieces. That there's not a lot of the um, you know sort of um, there's not a lot of the type of um, you know the, yeah, the, if they, they want to make types. it look if they want to make it look like a retool, they're going to have to move off some of the contracts, right? And and again, I don't think they're moving off uh, Miller. I don't think they're going to sign the uh, the offer sheet for Ekman Larson, but I still think there's a case to be made to move Brock Besser and move Connor Garland, or at least one of the two, right? And I think that <laughs> is an important piece that you can replace and then potentially retool. That's not going to be all of it. That's just going to be a part of it. You've obviously got to get Pedersen signed, whether it's a rebuild or a retool. It doesn't really matter. And then a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with with LTI. But if they, you know, it's tough, right? Because it, what type of player, like who are the guys that if the Canucks want to spend $4 million, which they currently don't have, they want to spend $4 million on a third line center because everybody's optimum third line center is a second line center that you're playing on your third line, right? Mm. Like that's, am I wrong? Right? Like it's, it's Nazem Kadri. Uh What can you, who is that player for this team that's going to be available this summer? Because it's going to come via trade, not free agency. One would think, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's a good answer to this. Like Danton Heinen, do you play him at center? Do you cast him as a center, even though he spent much of the last few years on the wing? Barbashev, I know, is a name that Rick Dollywall's brought up a few times. Uh, Milstein client, so we certainly take that seriously. Um, Teddy Bluger. But I mean, you know, most of these guys are out of position wingers or like in, in Bluger's case, like clearly bottom six, not, not a high end top six guy. Um, Evan Rodriguez, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to figure out who it could be. 
Um, with with space, you could take a run at a JT Comper, right? Um, you could try and trade for a, an Adam Henrique. But without space, it's really tough to get into that sort of marketplace. I love this. Nikita from Tyson W. Nikita Triamkin is the one missing piece. Very strong. <laughs> Very strong. Uh, let's get let's get back to the stage. <laughs> All right. We, our next question is from Ella V. Hey guys, um, I just have a question, and I think another um, user also um, was wondering this, and it was about PD's next deal and the term. Like, what happens? I just want to know what happens if he chooses not to resign this summer. What do the Canucks do in that case? And then basically, like, if you put yourself in Pedersen's shoes, is he better off just waiting? And if he wants to wait, like, what do the Canucks do? Thank you. Thanks for your question, Ella. So the shape of this is is as follows, right? So Pedersen becomes extension eligible on July 1, but he's got a year remaining on his three-year bridge contract signed, you know, in, in late September, early October of, uh, 2021. So he remains under contract with the team. So if he declines to sign a deal, the Canucks still have him next year. Like he still shows up to training camp. He still plays the whole season. No big deal. Once that deal's done, he'll remain an, a restricted free agent, albeit one with arbitration rights for the first time in his career. I think he costs 8.88 million to qualify, but you'll have to double check that because his deal's under the new calculation rules, right? even though he's going to make 10 plus million next year, which by the way is, is a useful data point to keep in mind. Like Pedersen's salary, I think it's 10.3. That's off the top of my head. You'll have to go to cap friendly to confirm, but he's making 10.3 million in actual salary next year, despite a $7.35 million cap hit. That's a, that's instructive, right? Because you know, maybe not necessarily that the cap hit has to start at a higher rate, but his salary certainly will, right? Like you're not getting Pedersen to accept a deal where he's taking a pay cut in the first year of it. So in, in any event, um, once that happens, the Canucks can qualify him, uh, either the team or him, and most likely him can file for arbitration. Arbitration tends to result in deals getting done. If it goes to a hearing, which almost never happens, he'd only be eligible to get a one-year reward. He'd still have to play out another season before he gets unrestricted free agency. Um, if we ever reach that late juncture, the writing would be on the wall, Mark Stone style, about about where this is transpiring, and, and the Canucks would be able to sell him as a as a rental player for like an unprecedented haul. Um, so the Canucks have a ton of recourse here. They have a ton of time, and they have a ton of different levers that they can use to retain the player. Number one is that they're able to come to him right now with you know two years before he hits the market and offer him a bag. Uh, that's a really useful weapon in their chamber. Ten point two five. You then have ten point two five million is uh, what his actual salary, the salary. is for next yeah. year. Question: that which, came, is, which is that? I think that's top ten in the league, by the way. Okay. Um, question that came from Chitan H: Would it be disappointing if PD wants a Matthews type deal and sign in the five year range? I mean, that's possible. I think that's more and more appealing to players. Um, and honestly, I think if players are willing to do stuff like that, that actually benefits them more, right? If Pedersen was to sign a, excuse me. Pedersen was to sign a five-year deal, for example, um, you know, he'd hit the open market again at 31, um, you know, perspective uh, or very possible that he's still pretty close to the peak of his powers then, um, you know, so I mean, I don't think that would be bad business necessarily, um, you know, but you want term, you want term. Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, it was, a, it was an eventful day, my friend. Anything that you want to add before before we jump off? And again, kudos to Patrick Alvin for uh, for passing this one with with a pretty good grade compared to what we've seen to this point. And, and uh, hopefully, at some point, we get to talk to Jim Rutherford again. Yeah, Rick Tockett faced like maybe twenty percent of the questions at best. It was all uh, I, I would say if that. Yeah, <laughs> it was a it was light day's work for for Rick, no question. And then at the end, by the way, he adds to the media pool. No one even asked about Kuzi. <laughs> right? It, well, and we're also told that the, the Russian players are all expected to be here this summer. So some might go home real quick and come back. And we're told that Kuzmenko is a very avid traveler and likes going all sorts of places. But uh, if, for a guy that didn't necessarily finish 
the season in the coach's good books, uh, you certainly want to make a statement. And and I know that Talkin has talked about getting back here quite quickly. He'll go he'll go home. I think Phoenix is his home uh, in the off season, and then he'll get back here for um, for much of the summer as well because he wants to be around and see who's doing what. So uh, we can see a lot of Canucks here, which just means more trips for Drancher to the rink. Although we don't know where that rink is because they don't have their own practice facility. <laughs> no, they do not. All right. Well, hey, pleasure to do this with you guys all one last time in season. We'll get in off season mode now. Harmon and I will keep uh, churning things out. We got the report cards up at the Athletic right now, so check that out. And thank you for joining us on this Vancast Live. Be well, Farhan. And, and when Wednesday, we are going to do our regular Vancast with Harmon and I, and we're certainly going to keep an eye on the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, the American Hockey League playoffs with Abbotsford beginning their series on Wednesday, and we'll continue to talk Canucks on a weekly basis uh, from now until uh, at least until the, the Stanley Cup finals, the draft, and the start of free agency are done. So we're going to we're going to stay here for the next couple of months, even though there's no Canuck games to necessarily talk about. So uh, this will get posted as a podcast, and then Harm and I will be back on Wednesday. I know he's done a report card that you can catch in The Athletic, so we'll get into that as well. So still lots more Canuck content on The Athletic, both the written version and the audio version, so we look forward to it. Cheers, my friend. Be well. All right, see you, buddy.